The Theonauts, episode 99. The one where, splish splash, we were taking a bath. The Theonauts Podcast. Christian news from around the globe. In the beginning, God created the heaven and the earth. It is the glory of God to conceal a thing, but the honor of kings is to search out a matter. Explore the vast reaches of God's word. Hello, all you Theodivas! You've been down too long in the midnight sea. <laughs> oh, what's becoming of me? <laughs> I'm David Gaddy. I'm Jeremiah Orr. And together we are the, the Theonauts. Back in the saddle again. Like it's been two weeks. I'm back. <laughs> yes. It <laughs> you just want to do a concert over there today, don't you? Let me go get I my guitar. Classic metal stuff coming out. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> So what have we been doing for two weeks? I don't know. I I've lost. Uh, what what time is it? What what day is it? I have no clue. It's crazy, man. Newborns are crazy. <laughs> Every time I've well, I've only been over there like once. She's sleeping. She's sleeping. Yeah. So it's like chill. It's great until the night comes. Yeah. And when the night comes, she <laughs> is up. And she likes to coo and look around, and she's she's a night person, mm. so it's fun. But she fit in nicely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So yeah, um, so I spent a week in Haiti. Right, that was cool. Mm-hmm. We we had a really good time. It was hot. Man, was it hot this time? That's what I keep hearing. It was it was like pretty devastatingly hot. Yes, and uh, it was just the end of the rainy season. So there was still a little bit of mosquito issues going on there, oh, yeah. but we, you know, I didn't really experience any bites that I know of. Wow. So, um, that's good. You got to feed the kids. Yes. We, we fed, uh, we did the whole ministry with the soccer kids and all mm-hmm. that, uh, fed about a little, little under a hundred of them nice. over there. And then, uh, we had a good time. They're building a new school. So we were able to help them, uh, there in the school, yeah, do a little English for English class. I heard Riley taught English. That was pretty awesome. Oh yeah, man, he 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 knocked it out of the park. That's awesome. He did really really good. That's good. And then they wanted to like um, just spend time talking in English, right. you know, so that we hung around and talked, and uh, they asked us questions, and that was really funny. And then uh, see, then we ended up we ended up uh, feeding uh, about two hundred, a little less than two hundred. Families. Wow. Yeah, there was, um, <clears throat> I say feeding, giving them a, uh, what to them is a week's worth of food. Food, yeah. Um, it's not very much to us. But, right. Um, but yeah, what we did was we have a hundred, a hundred that we took care of in Merger. And then when we went to Laguanav, we did like 70 there. Wow. So yeah, it was, um, it was really good. Pretty awesome. All, how was, all the way around. How was logging off? How was the worship? Oh, it was always amazing. Yeah. <laughs> it always is over there. They they really get down on it. Yeah, uh, you know it's like they they re- they have no problem at all with just just getting after it, like dancing or right. else. But it's not like showy thing at all. It's like they don't. They'll just they're just on their own little world, like right. worshiping. Yeah. It's so cool. 
It's, it's like David dancing before yes, the dark, right? Yeah, it really is. Uh, so, yeah, we, we had a really good time. <laughs> That's great, so, man. Yeah, awesome. we took uh, Riley and Jack. Right. And uh, Riley's girlfriend, Mackenzie, and uh, Kevin. And so we, we had a good time. And That's I think awesome. that was the first time that Riley, Jack, and Mackenzie had even been out of the country. Yep. So it, they went to Haiti. That was <laughs> for me. That's the same thing. Well, Canada, but you can't count Canada really. <laughs> so yeah, Haiti was my first time out of the country too. And yeah. what an experience! I know, it boy. Was, it's not. It's man. not like you got the easy thing first or whatever. It's crazy. <laughs> so yeah. So God bless. It's yeah. good. And we uh, carried on without you. Yeah. yeah, well, I'm, I'm glad. We had uh, two weeks. Christina <laughs> was home for two weeks for uh, uh, maternal leave. She got to mm-hmm. spend time with us. And so me and uh, and Blakely and Christina just hung out every day. It was pretty neat. That's amazing. Yeah, it was good. So God's good. We went to Kansas, drove up and saw my folks uh, for a couple days. Actually, just one day, I think. <clears> and then came back and, and moving, moving. I'm going to Minnesota next week, so I'm going to be out again. Yeah. We we we'll we'll talk about how we're going to handle that <laughs> because we because we have our 100th episode coming up right and we can't have you I out know of the, out I of can't be yeah I can't be MIA for that so <laughs> we better do something <laughs> like call you up over the phone or something <laughs> that's great <laughs> we'll we'll figure something simulcast out. so we're ready to jump into the study today let's do it. All right, so we're going to do a Types and Shadows thing again. Yes. Yeah, so I always like doing that. Me too. And this one's really interesting because we're going to cover something that that could be a little controversial in today's church, but Ma- something that's... Maybe. Yeah, something that's needed, we need to understand more of in the church today, I think. Yeah. So, you know, why do we do what we do? What's, what's the purpose? What's the symbolism? Yeah, and I think... That? Obviously, we're talking. We're going to talk about water. Right. That's specifically what we're talking Absolutely. about as a symbol, as a sign, as what is water. Now, obviously, when I say that, as churchgoers, we all Natural immediately reaction. think baptism. Baptism. Yep. So it's not like we're not going to talk about baptism. We'll definitely talk about about it, but I don't want that to be the total focus of what we're talking about today. Right. Because there's, and, and what I think this study does is it adds power to the concept of baptism sure. and what it is and, and why it is important. Um, and, you know, there's all these camps uh, when it comes to baptism going, I mean, this is not a new thing either. It's been debated and argued about <laughs> forever. Right. And uh, so, you know, you've got your, your paedal Baptist, you know, people baptizing babies You've got um, uh, what the reformers called Anabaptist. Yes. In other words, rebaptizers. Yes. <laughs> and uh, because because uh, they didn't believe in paedal baptism. Right. And so among other things. And then we've got all kinds of even in today's um, even amongst confessional baptism practicing groups. There's all these debates about what is baptism, what does it do. Uh, when is it necessary? Is it necessary? I mean, it, there's just like all these debates right. about it. And and I don't think that we're going to really touch on any of that in this 
I mean, unless an opinion pops nah, out here, or there. But, but, but the study itself is not geared toward baptism itself. Trying to break any of these arguments or side anywhere on this whole baptism issue. What it's ma- meant to do is to make us understand why baptism was a thing, right? And why it started, why it became a thing. But that's not the only reason for the study. Studies also to show us what God's doing through His uh, Word, right, and through His Spirit and through His Son. Yes. So first off, um, th- one of the things that that I wanted to do uh, when I was putting the study together was um, because I think there's going to be a tendency for people to go, well, when whenever Jesus says water here, He means this, right? But whenever He says, but when water is used here, it means that. And I think that's a bad hermeneutic, personally, because my, from my experience in the scriptures, and I may be totally wrong, you know, you're more than welcome to write in, call in, whatever, show me that I'm wrong on this, but everything that I've studied in types and symbols, a symbol is consistent throughout the Bible. So whenever they, when the Holy Spirit chooses a symbol to represent something, it's always going to represent that. Right. And that's one way. It's a it's a it's a hermeneutic. It it actually helps you to interpret the Bible, because when you get to a difficult passage, and it's using a symbol, symbol. all you got to do is go back in the in the scriptures and find a clearer place where that symbol is used, or where Jesus even comes right out and says, "The field is the world," right? You know, or whatever, and comes right out and tells you what the symbol is in an, anal- in an analogy he is giving. Sure. Now it doesn't work the other way around. So, for example, Jesus, you know, okay, I'm going to use a rock, okay? A rock is a symbol for Jesus. Right. It's always a symbol for Jesus. Everywhere in the Old Testament, New Testament, where you see a rock, you can see a sign, a a, a type of Jesus in it. Right. Okay, however... So, like, Moses strikes the rock. Yep. That's a symbol symbol of of, Christ. uh, And, of course, water comes out. Exactly. And we're going to talk about water today. Sure. Okay, so that's, that's an idea that, you know... It's not like you're going to find a rock somewhere else and it's going to be a representation of something other than Jesus. Right. However, Jesus himself is represented by a lot of symbols. So it doesn't go the other way around. A rock's not the only thing that can represent Jesus. Uh, Jesus says, I'm the door, I'm the vine, I'm bread of life. Uh, I mean, there's all these these different things that he claims he is, and these are symbols for him. Uh, So... It's the same way with with other symbols as well. You've got things like rock is a is a is a sign of Jesus. Fire is a symbol of judgment. Leaven is a symbol of sin. Right. And this is one of them where people want to try and say in Matthew thirteen, leaven's a good thing. I say go study that a little harder, <laughs> because I don't think leaven's a good thing ever in the Bible. Huh. It's always presented as sin. Um, and is that the <clears throat> a little leaven levels leavens the whole lump? No, but see, obviously that's a bad thing. right. That's a bad metaphor. But but in in Matthew thirteen is the kingdom parable where Jesus says the kingdom of heaven is likened to a woman who put leaven into three measures of meal, uh-huh. and it consumed it and grew and whatever. And people go, oh, see, that's the church. It's going to be a good thing. It's going to grow. It's going to expand, and it's going to like leaven does. Mm, I think that's a bad understanding of what Jesus is saying. I think he's talking in a negative way, things that are going to happen in the kingdom that are negative. Oh, um, and that makes total sense because so, over and over Jesus is trying to weed out yeah. his kingdom. And how many times does he say things like, uh, beware of what? The, the leaven, leaven of the of Pharisees. The Pharisees. Yeah. 
So he's he's definitely he's he, okay. So leaven is is a symbol of sin. Yeah. Uh, blood is a symbol for atonement. Right. Wine or fruit of the vine is a symbol for blood. So you have all these symbols right. that are all throughout Scripture. Um, another thing going into the study I think is going to be important, especially when we get to a passage or two here that gets confusing, is we need to understand figures of speech in the Bible. Sure. There, <laughs> and this is another... Or just in general, you need to understand figures of speech. <laughs> you really do. <laughs> that, and that becomes so apparent whenever you start posting Babylon B posts Right. Oh on my Facebook gosh. It's because... satire. <laughs> he's being facetious. It's fake. He's even... Chill on, out. Most of the time he's on your side. Right. You gotta calm down, man. <laughs> People think that it's blasphemous or something. It's like, no, 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 no. He's trying to point out our fallacies. <laughs> Uh, through satire. So anyway, we, it's important for you to understand figures of speech. Right. And uh, the Bible is full yeah. of figures of speech. And this is, once again, going back to hermeneutics. How do you interpret the Bible? Uh, figures of speech are important. you got to know when you're reading a metaphor. Sure. you got to know when it's a simile. you got to know whenever he's, being, he's talking hyperbole or something. Right. that I mean, it's like people get so crazy, and they'll say, Bible says it. I believe it. That settles it. But they're not they're not understanding what the Bible's saying. Is the mustard seed really the smallest seed in the world? <laughs> really? Right. Okay, a perfect example. That's hyperbole. <laughs> exactly. Jesus is using overstatement. That, that as a hyperbole. He's not making a statement of fact scientifically. No. But all the atheists want to grab that verse and go, see right there, Bible's not true. <laughs> well, it is if you understand that Jesus is speaking hyperbolically. Right. <laughs> The truth that he's expanding on is absolutely correct. True. Correct, and that's what. The <clears throat> so uh, let's. There are some figures of speech. Obviously, we mentioned metaphor, and I, I I picked a few phrases around the same idea okay. to help us understand the difference between metaphor, simile, hyperbole, and I've got another one here called a hendiadus. Now that's not a common. <laughs> Which they one. don't usually teach you in English class. Yeah, that's not hendiadus. a common a common one, but it, it's still there. Yeah. Still a figure of speech, and 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 it is in the Bible. Um, so here, a metaphor is like if I say I'm on fire. Now you know when I tell you that, like I'm outside working, whatever, and I'm sweating up a storm. Okay, right there, I just said I just gave you a metaphor. Yeah, I'm sweating up a storm. Yeah, <laughs> I'm not sweating up a real storm. <laughs> I'm not on fire right. like physically. Those are <laughs> metaphors. Okay, so but if I say it's man, it's hot as an oven out there. So I'm doing. Is this. it literally 450 degrees outside? <laughs> right. No. <laughs> Uh, so that's a simile because I'm 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 comparing it to something and saying I'm comparing it to something. Right. So a, it's as an oven, like an oven or outside or whatever. Okay, a hyperbole is one we just gave you a good example sure. of of Jesus there. But hyperbole is whenever you make um, an exaggeration, an overstatement. Yes, like you're overstating. You're not trying to to be factual. You're right. trying to emphasize what you're saying. Yeah. So you make this huge. Overstatement, right? In it, it's, it's also when Jesus, when uh, Paul says, um, uh, "Though I have all knowledge, and can and 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 give my body to be burned, and have not love, I have nothing." Right. 
He knows there's Though no I way. I speak with the tongues of angels. Whoa, would that be hyperbole? I don't want to step on anybody's toes, but maybe it might. Okay, anyways. Okay, so I'm not going to touch that one. But but the, but but for sure, we can't have all knowledge. Right. And he knows we can't have all knowledge. Right. And he's not saying there's ever going to be a situation where you can have all knowledge and no love. What he's saying is that you think knowledge is important, talking to these Corinthian, these Greeks. You think knowledge is important, but if I knew every single thing there is to know, that's hyperbole. Right. And 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 he's just using it to make a point. Exactly. Okay, now to this weird one, hendiatus. Okay, now a hendiatus is whenever you use two things to mean basically the same thing. So uh, you, you throw and in there. Mm-hmm. So if I say, man, it's hot and miserable outside. Okay, it is hot and it is miserable, but my point is... It's miserable because it's hot outside. Mm-hmm. So, I'm, or if I say it's nice and warm, yeah. or uh, any any time you take and you are, uh, it, we do this a lot when we preach. Right. Actually, we'll we'll get into this thing where where we'll do we'll say things in threes, you know, or mm-hmm. like, uh, uh, you know, I can't even do it right now off the top of my head. But but you know where where you're saying something and you might use different words. To Im, to make the same claim point. Yeah. Well, I we use this a ton in advertising. Go check this out in advertising. You'll see the the um, the beautiful and luxurious new leather seats for okay. the there you Ford go. Focus. Or yeah, yeah. The uh, the hot and uh, hot and uh, decadent um, <laughs> biscuits at Mama's yeah, Cafe. Yeah. You know stuff like that. Oh, here's a good one you, where you actually use the same word. You can talk and talk and talk all you want. Okay, <laughs> that's a hendiatus. Run, skip, and jump. <laughs> yeah, it's just a run, skip, and jump. It's just a. It's yeah. just a. a, a, a um, you know, whatever. Yeah. You, you're using things like this to make a. You're you're not stating that there's two different things going on. And sometimes we do that in scripture. We go, oh. Psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. What's the difference in all those? <laughs> well, maybe there's not. I mean, I think that there there is some. I think there's definitely we can we can redefine like oh, we like to say hymns are songs that speak to God and spiritual songs are songs that speak to our heart about our reaction yeah. to God. But you know, we're really just making that stuff up. The right. Bible doesn't come out uh-uh. and say, this is the definition of a hymn and this is the definition of a spiritual song. Yeah. And I don't have a problem with people defining it that way. But when Paul says, speak to yourselves in Psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs, he's not saying, okay, you need to, to, to sing this type of song, you need to sing this type of song, and you need to sing this type of song. Right. He is saying, have a melody in your heart. Yeah. That's what he's saying. And so... But he's using the hendiatus to do it. Exactly. Okay, so uh, the reason why I mention that is because it's going to come up in, in at least one of the passages we're going to look. Okay, so let's get to water. What is water physically? What what does it do? What is its function from us as humans who know nothing about God, whatever, just in general, what do we use water for? To stay alive. Yes. Okay, there's one of them. <laughs> if you don't drink water, you're going to die within three or four days. Right. So because you have to drink it water is life. to survive. Water is life. Yes. Absolutely. And you know, I think of uh places that don't have water like uh um Lagunov. Mm-hmm. And the fact that they do anything to get water there. Yeah. Right. And how well, miles and miles and miles a day exactly to carry water 
to their to their family because they have to have <clears> it. <throat> and um, how amazing what kind of ministry it is to actually bring water to them, and how what the, what their response is going to be once they get that well there. Mm-hmm. You know, it's going to yeah, be huge. It's going to be a huge metaphor when we get things working there. Right. Um, so uh, another thing we use water for cleansing things. Yes. Well, uh, cleaning things when 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 we um, when you you're nice and clean, right? Another hendiatus. There you go. So, so we're like when you you get all the mud, all the dirt off of you. I mean, we use water for that. Right. It is a cleansing agent, and uh, so that's going to come into play. Sure. Um, it comes into play big time in the in the Bible in Genesis. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> in a very instructive yes. cleansing way. And then you have uh, another thing that water does is it makes things grow. Yeah. Right. When rain falls, when you have a, a nice uh, season, you're a farmer or whatever, your crop is going to grow like crazy. Why? Because you've put water on it. Right. You irrigate so that you can provide water to your 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 crop. Right. And it makes things grow. It it uh, it, it it provides things. So uh, I think just by looking at that, knowing if we're Christians, immediately we can start to to hear. What's going on? We can start to see, oh, okay. Sure. Yeah, because I need this to live. I need this for uh, cleansing, and I need it to grow. Right. Okay, but what is it that, that you need? Um, I'm going to go out on a limb and, and go ahead and state what, what I believe the symbol of water is in the Bible. Sure. I believe it is a symbol of the Holy Spirit. So, And we're going to use some verses here to kind of back that up. Yeah. But um, the once again, it's not the only symbol for the spirit. Wind, breath, th- those types of things. Pneuma, are, yeah, pneuma. That's the word spirit in Greek. Right. It, it means an, a breath air. of air. Right. So wind is a symbol of the spirit as well. Sure. But I believe that the, that we'll see here through these scriptures that water, whenever it comes up, is a symbol of the Holy Spirit. Yeah, and it's hard for us to sometimes do all this because the Holy Spirit. So we don't give the Holy Spirit a lot of credit for what He does, and um, and I think that that's been to our shame. Yeah, uh, Francis Chan wrote a book about it called yeah, "The Forgotten, Forgotten God,", God. Uh, and that's the whole point is we've for, we've forgotten that He's there, and it's actually very important. Jesus made it very clear, right, that the that the Spirit is important. So I want to just look at some verses that um, that speak to this. Uh, I'm, I mainly wanted to hit some some passages in the Old Testament, okay? Because I think even though the Holy Spirit wasn't specifically mentioned like by name in in the Old Testament, his function still was sure. And even if he's he's still with God the Father at that point, um, his function still was there. And I think God, in referring to Himself, is also referring to the Holy Spirit at times. Right. So uh, <clears throat> let's look at Jeremiah 2, uh, verse 13. It says, My people have done two evils. They have turned away from me the spring of living water, and they have dug their own wells, which are broken wells that cannot hold water. Okay, so obviously he's talking metaphorically. Right. There's n- He's not saying anything about physical water on the earth. No. Um. He is saying that he is the spring of living water. Um, Now, this is a cool phrase because when we get to the New Testament, we're going to hear this term living water 
right. brought up again. Yeah. Um, but what, what do you think he means there when he says they've dug their own wells, broken wells that cannot hold water? Well, they're trying to do they're trying to do life on their own. They're trying to to survive without without the real source right. of water. And so what they're doing is they're, you know, chasing after idols, chasing after other things to satisfy them, mm-hmm. chasing after other things to uh, quench the thirst. Right. 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 And uh and so you know, God uses that metaphor through Jeremiah to say, you guys, you're missing it. You're, you're taking, I, you have the source of all life right here, and you're forsaking it, and you're going over here, and you're trying to make your own source of yes. life here. And, man, that relates to today, because how many times do we do that? You yeah, know, we, we try to clean out our own cistern. Exactly. We try to... It's like, uh, if I were to use another metaphor, I'd use the whole gas tank symbolism right mm. we've taken away gasoline and we've tried to make our own product to, to run our car and right. what's happening is our car's breaking down <laughs> right yeah so. that's good so um he continues that same um symbolism in jeremiah 17 last half of verse 13 he says people who quit following the lord will be like a name written in the dust because they have left the lord the spring of living water mm. So I, th- I think it's kind of cool. Once again, he's using the same term. Right. God's a spring of living water, but he says that they will be like, um, w- they will be like a name written in the dust. That's it's a dry concept. Right. And it, what happens when you write in the dust over time? Wind blows on it. It or, fades. It, it loses. Yeah. yeah you, you can't keep it. Right. Um, so there's there's several other verses. Proverbs twenty five verse twenty five, like a cold water to a thirsty soul, so is good news from a far country. Hmm. And uh, of course, this is Proverbs, so it's it's speaking in general. But it talks about good news. That's a term that we're familiar with as Christians. Something that from the New Testament, right? We think of gospel of gospel of the gospel. Which and, means uh, good news. Yeah, that's it. yeah and, and it brings it, it that the gospel quenches our thirst. What it's, what does the gospel bring? The Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. <laughs> <laughs> right. So when the Holy Spirit comes upon us, uh, then it it's like a cold drink of water. Right. It completely fills us. Yeah. Oh. Uh, Psalms one, uh, first three verses there, very very um, prominent psalm that a lot of people memorize. Blessed is the man who walks not in the counsel of the wicked, nor stands in the way of sinners, nor sits in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on his law he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of water that yields its fruit in its season, and its leaf does not wither. In all that he does, he prospers. So This is something interesting there, too. Yeah, so the man who walks with God is like a tree planted by streams of living water. So the roots, right? Mm-hmm. They reach down and they're continually being replenished by running living water. Right. Okay. So going back to what we looked at the physical side of water. Exactly. Water makes things grow. Right. Sustains you. Exactly. And so a Christian, you know, if he's if he's a Christian is going to be somebody who is continually being renewed mm-hmm. by the Holy Spirit. Yeah, think about how what Romans 8 says. Uh, that is, uh, who, he who walks not after the flesh, but after, after the spirit. spirit. If you're walking after the spirit, you're beside it. Right. You're. He's in you. He's with you. He's 
So you're walking with him. He's dwelling with you. You're just like a tree by a stream of of water. And he's continually (laughs) replenishing you and helping you grow into who you're supposed to be. And, of course, trees produce fruit. Exactly. And, of course, we can jump over into Galatians the the sixth chapter there and read or the fifth chapter and read about fruits of the spirit the fruit of the spirit so sure. you have this fruit that that comes love joy peace long suffering meekness all this that that is a that is a fruit of the spirit right so if we're by by the stream of which is God says I am the spring that brings right. forth this living water living waters being a symbol of the spirit he's the spirit is supplying. Yeah. Us and producing fruit in us. Um, there's other uh, instances in Amos 5, verse 24. Uh, it talks about justice rolls down like waters and righteousness like an ever-flowing stream. Um, the main reason I picked that one is because um, this concept of, uh, well, first off, of justice... Um, I, I did the study on justice one time that I thought was really cool because when we say justice, we think of of courtroom judgment, right. you know that sort of stuff. But there are some other ways that the Bible uses this term justice, and it's about clinging to that which is right, is just clinging to that which is just. So, like for example, um, it, it, it says Isaiah says something about how uh, we should love justice and mercy. Right. And when Jesus started his ministry, he goes to Nazareth, Nazareth, and he reads from the scroll of Isaiah and says, you know, I'm going to break the bonds of those captives. Mm-hmm. I am going to heal the brokenhearted. In other words, what's he doing? He's bringing justice to those that are uh, or have Afflicted. suffered injustices. Right. Yeah. Well, you read the just shall live by faith, right? So what does that mean there? It means if you are just. Justified. Right. right. Exactly. And so that's, yeah. Yeah. So anyway, uh, the Holy Spirit uh, frees you, right? It's part of, of what frees you. Sure. It's justice. It's, right. Uh, and, and then you also have this, this concept of righteousness. Where does that righteousness come from? It comes from Jesus, obviously. But... By which means, through the Spirit, right, we receive uh, the righteousness of Jesus Christ, and so uh, righteousness flows like a stream. So it has this water concept again, yeah, tied to. Um, you notice everything we've been really talking about flowing. Yes, it's living, it's not water, stagnant, not stagnant. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's well, which goes to. This model, once again, that has been used many times about the Sea of Galilee. Right. That's what I was going to say. I think God was so serious about this that he actually built his holy land based <laughs> off of the concept. Right. Right. Because right smack dab in the middle of the holy land, you have what? The Sea of Galilee, which is the most productive, healthy. Yes. Uh, full of fish. Full of fish. It was a fisherman's delight. People actually made their living off of the Sea of Galilee. They Still went do. Out. Yeah. It's a big deal. Like, it's full of nothing but life, right? right? And then you have it connected to the Jordan River. So the Sea of Galilee is actually has an inflow and an outflow. Correct. Right? And it, uh, <clears throat> the outflow, it's connected to the Jordan River, and the Jordan River uh, flows down. That's actually where Jesus was baptized. You have this living water <laughs> thing, but it flows right. down to the, what, the Dead Sea, right? Yes, yeah, the lowest and, place on the face of the planet. Lowest place on the face well, of the planet. Well, on the drive. 
Right. You can float if you go go out there and just <laughs> right. don't move. I haven't floated. Have you floated in the yes. Dead Sea? Did you yes. do it? You cannot. It's the weirdest thing in the world, dude. You cannot go under the water. I, I purposely, like I was out there, I don't know, 20 foot deep, and I'm like a cork. Like I'm trying to push my head under the water, and I mean, if you go, if you dive, your feet will just flop up. I mean, you're you're like a cork. That's amazing. <laughs> it's the weirdest thing, and it's because water goes there and never goes out. Right. And so all this mineral deposits, salt, and it's really salt. Yeah, it's extremely it. salt. But it's salt. also got all these other minerals that that come into it and make yeah. the water so heavy. That's why you can't right. sink in it. And <laughs> so, but, but there's nothing alive. Nothing can live in it. Right. Because it, it's, yeah, it has no outflow. So it receives water, but never, never gives it, never gives it. So it's dead. Right. Mm-hmm. And so this huge water metaphor, the Holy spirit is placed firmly smack dab into the, even yes. the geographical areas. So what do we do when the spirit, when we receive the spirit, we make sure he flows out of us. We make sure that right. that same living water as Jesus will tell us here in a minute, flows from our bellies. It it comes out of us. It it is a, um, right. is a blessing have, to others. We spring up as well as the living water to other people. It's, yeah. yeah. So okay, so many of us have memorized Psalms twenty three, first couple of verses. There, the Lord is my shepherd; I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. Okay, so he's talking about rest and he's talking about um, uh, being at peace. He leads me beside the still waters. Yeah. So once again, you have this water concept and bringing us peace. So if we have this this um, water inside of us, it is it's giving us us peace. Right, and not only that, but it, he's leading us beside the still water. So it's, again, this whole action of of walking beside yes. the Holy Spirit and the Holy Spirit guiding us, right, mm-hmm. and leading us in which way we should go. So many people are hung up on. Laws, commands in the Old Testament. I just want to throw this out there. Okay, okay, go. And uh, they they they're hung up on. Okay, so how should I how should I live then? What should I do? And so they're hung up on the laws, the commands of the Old Testament, when what they should be doing is following the Holy Spirit mm-hmm. because being that's, led by the waters, exactly. The Spirit be led by the waters and continually being led by the waters. Mm-hmm. And uh, you know we don't do that. So, anyways, that's for free, but. It's, <laughs> Something that I think is people need to understand the work of the Holy Spirit and where to get that. You know, mm-hmm. that's what it does. It it actually guides us in all righteousness. So, okay, Revelation twenty two. We'll go to the end of the book. Okay, first couple of verses there, coming from the Holman actually. Then he showed me the river of living water, sparkling like crystal, flowing from the throne of God, and of the Lamb down the middle of the broad street of the city. The tree of life was on both sides of the river bearing 12 kinds of fruit, producing its fruit every month, and the leaves of the tree are for the healing of the nations. Hmm. Okay, so obviously this is metaphoric. This is talking about uh, the throne of God. And he sees a stream of living water flowing from the throne of God and the Lamb of Jesus. So once again, this echoes what we read in Jeremiah. I am the spring of living Living water. water, And uh, so what is this living water? What is it coming out of the it coming from the throne? Where is it going? And well, obviously it goes down the the, the middle of the road, giving life to the tree of life. Right. I mean, all all this stuff going on, uh, but it flows into us. It flows into you and I. And I think we'll we'll, 
we'll get to get there here in a minute. Yes. Now, we could go on and on and on and on. There are countless references in the Bible to rivers, rains, seas, uh, storms, all kinds of things that involve water, and it's really cool when you start looking at the right. depth. Even droughts, lack of water. Yes, yes. <laughs> so, uh, uh, but here's what I want to do. I want to look at Jesus and how he used water, because this is where we start understanding that it is the Holy Spirit that we're talking about. Right. Because Jesus took ownership of this of this metaphor, right? And he and he and he he doesn't let go of it. Uh, so, first off, um, Jesus. Let's look at Jesus's very first miracle. Okay. Okay. Comes from John, the second chapter. John, we're going to be reading a lot from John because John is full of water references. Right. It is. And Jesus is very clear. If he's not clear in one passage, he's definitely clear in another passage yeah. what he's talking about when he says water. So. First off, John 2, they're at a wedding. Yeah. And so good. Oh. So this is Cana. Yeah. And he's and they're at this wedding and they run out of, of wine. And Jesus is being compelled to do something about it. Right. Now, at first he was reluctant because he was like, it's not my time yet, you know, I'm not ready to do this. But he does it anyway. And what he does is, I think is is really cool because he makes a huge metaphoric statement with his miracle. Right. Okay, so if we look at John 2, beginning in verse 6, in the NCV, it says, In that place there were six stone water jars that the Jews used in their washing ceremony. Each jar held about 20 or 30 gallons. Jesus said to the servants, fill the jars with water. Yeah. Okay, so first off, I want to make mention that he just didn't go grab a bunch of buckets. He went to the stone jars that the Jews used for ceremonial washing. To make themselves clean before, yeah, before Correct. a ceremony. That's okay, a so once again, water, cleansing, all this stuff coming right. is, is in play here. So, so they filled the water, they filled the jars to the top, and he said to them, now take some out and give it to the master of the feast. So they took the water to the master, and when he tasted it, the water had become wine. He did not know where the wine came from, but the servants who had brought the water knew. And the master of the wedding called the bridegroom and said to him, People always serve the best wine first. Later, (laughs) after the guests had been drinking a while, they served the cheaper wine. But you have saved the best wine till now. So in Cana of Galilee, Jesus did his first miracle, and there he showed his glory, and his followers believed in him. Okay, so he does does his first miracle, and it's changing water, a cleansing agent, into wine, wine, which is, we talked about this briefly a while ago, what is wine a symbol of? Mm. Blood. Right. What is blood a symbol of? Atonement. Atonement. Mm -hmm. So we have this water and blood thing, water and wine thing going on. Yeah. And I think we'll see that those things go together... Quite often, yeah, in, in more the New more Testament. than more than once, right? And he does this at a wedding, which I think is is pretty interesting too. Yeah, we'll, because we have the whole symbolism of a wedding, which yes. is that that's basically the picture of Christ and His church, right? Right. right. So, yeah. So you've got the pouring out of the Spirit, you got the pouring out of atonement, and you have the pouring out of this marriage issue. Right. So, so uh, all this stuff going on in John too. Yeah. Well, it's a picture for me, it's a picture of regeneration. Yeah. It's a picture of what happens at salvation. You're, you're ritualistically cleansed. You're, we're washed. 
mm-hmm. in the blood of Christ, water, blood, right? Yeah. Which brings about the new man. Yeah. In marriage, right? Okay, so John 3, the next chapter. John 3. Yeah. Popular conversation between Jesus and Nicodemus. Yes. We get the... You must be born again. Yes. Unless we, a man be born of water and the Spirit. Correct. Yeah. So th- let's read that. It's in John 3, verse 5 through 8. Jesus <laughs> answered... I don't know why I was doing a uh, FDR impersonation there. But <laughs> Is that, that FDR? Good. Yeah, I think so. Okay. I don't know. <laughs> it was stupid. Okay, go ahead. <laughs> I tell you the truth. Unless you are born from water and the Spirit, you cannot enter... God's kingdom. Okay, now, first off, preface this with a little what was said before. Jesus had told Nicodemus that he must be born again. Right. And he was like, okay, once again, Jesus is talking metaphor. Okay. Right. It's <laughs> a figure of speech. What, but, but, but what Nicodemus was hearing was... Literal. Literal. Yeah. Physical. What, what do you mean? I, I, that's impossible. I, right. can't, I can't go get to my mother's womb and be born again. <laughs> And uh, th- and so th- he's trying. Jesus is trying to explain what he meant when he said "born again." So he says, "I tell you the truth: unless you are born from water and the Spirit, you cannot enter God's kingdom. Human life comes from human parents, but spiritual life comes from the Spirit. Don't be surprised when I tell you you must be born again. The wind blows where it wants to, and you hear the sound of it, but you don't know where the wind comes from or where it's going. It is the same with every person who is born from." The Spirit. Spirit, Okay, so Jesus is talking about the difference between physical and spiritual. That's what he's doing here. He's like, okay, you're thinking physical birth. I'm talking spiritual birth. Okay, and so he's using uh, things to to strengthen his argument of what he's meaning. There's a difference between physical things and spiritual things. Now, he says this statement, I tell you the truth, unless you are born from water and the Spirit, you cannot enter God's kingdom. Now, um, there are people, this is an argumentative passage. A lot of people will read this and they'll say, well, right there, Jesus just said you've got to be baptized. And he doesn't say you've got to be baptized. That's not what he says. Right. Now, I'm not saying anything uh, against whether or not you have to be baptized or whatever. I'm not, not going there at all. What I'm saying is this passage doesn't say that. Right. He's, he, baptism is talked about plenty in other passages. But here, I don't think that Jesus is talking about baptism. And there's a lot of people that, that understand this passage to mean that, and that's fine if that's what you, you get out of it. But here's my reasoning of why I don't think Jesus is specifically talking about baptism when he says water. And that is because, uh, for one, Christian baptism had not even really been instituted. Right. You had John out in the wilderness baptizing, baptizing. people, leading the way to Jesus, and we know that that baptism is is not sufficient for for saving right. Jesus because there were they found people in Acts later on that that's all they had done. Right. They didn't know Jesus, and he was like, "Oh, that's not good enough." Okay, so uh, uh, Jesus wasn't teaching regularly teaching baptism at this point. No, he wasn't. Um, and at the same time, he's dealing with a Jew who he's trying to explain to him. And he's trying to clarify things, not muddy up the water. Right. He's not, he's not trying to make things harder to understand. He's trying to make it clearer to understand. Right. And why say something about a practice he's going to institute if he hasn't instituted it yet? Exactly. So, I mean, this is, I'm just being speculative, 
but in my understanding of it, here's what I think he's doing. I think this is what we were talking about before with a hendiatus. Water has been used as a symbol all throughout the, the Bible for cleansing. It has been uh, consistently used in uh, the Jewish law, and they had to sprinkle water on things. They had, uh, they had to, to have the, the laver in front of the tabernacle. They right. had to dip in it. There's all this cleansing water stuff going on. And what I think Jesus is doing when he says born from water and the spirit, say it faster. I think that it's like water and spirit, water and spirit. It's cleansing spiritual thing. It's not, it's not, uh, and he's, and that's another thing. He's telling him this isn't physical. I'm right. talking spiritual. So why would he throw in the physical act of baptism while trying to explain to Nicodemus that this is not a physical thing right. that we're talking about? I'm talking about being born of the spirit with a cleansing thing using this metaphor of water in his in his statement. Right. Now, once again, people are going to hear that and if you think that this is talking specifically about baptism, you're going to get mad and you're going to go, "Are oh, you you're speaking against baptism?" Not speaking against baptism. I'm just trying to clarify what I believe Jesus was trying to say about water being a symbol of a cleansing agent, right. a symbol of the spirit. And that makes perfect sense. So if he says you're born from spirit and spirit, songs, hymn, spiritual songs, water and spirit, right? These, these are symbols for the spirit. And so he's saying, and, and this even gives it a little more credibility because what's the next thing he says, the wind blows where it wants to. And you hear the sound of it. He's, he changes gears and starts talking about wind. Well, why? He's not talking about physical wind. He's talking about Numa spirit. spirit. He's using another metaphor for spirit right. to keep driving this point home that this is a spiritual birth I'm talking about. Yes. You've got to get the spiritual birth, otherwise you can't enter into right. the kingdom of heaven. He's he's going get get your mind off the physical. Don't think about being actually physically born again. Really, what you need to be thinking about is spiritually being born again, right. which is something that that's totally different. Right. Totally different. Okay, so in John 4, next chapter. Okay, so this is going to be the third chapter in a row right. that we're talking about this stuff. Jesus is traveling. He goes <laughs> through Samaria, which he wasn't supposed to do. No, no good Jewish boy would go there. Right. But he ends up at, at Jacob's well, and there he meets a Samaritan woman. Yes, the now, woman at the well. He has this conversation with her about water. And so that's what I wanted to kind of focus on. Sure. He, uh, he had said, hey, woman, can you give me a drink of water from the well? And, uh, and, and she's like, what are you doing? You're a Jew. You shouldn't be talking to me. That's kind of what she says. <laughs> in, that's a pretty good... Uh, that's the Gaddy translation. That's nice. Good job. Okay, so anyway, in John 4, <laughs> verses 10 through 14, okay. Jesus replies, he says, if you only knew the free gift of God and who it is that is asking you for water... You should have asked him, and he would have given you living, living water. water. Yeah. And the woman said, Sir, where will you get this living water? <laughs> the well is very deep, and you have nothing to get water with. Are you greater than Jacob, our father, who gave <laughs> us this well and drank from it himself along with his sons and flocks? And Jesus answered, Everyone who drinks this water, pointing at the well, What's will be thirsty again. Yeah. But whoever drinks the water I give will never be thirsty. The water I 
will uh, give will become a spring of water gushing up inside the person giving them eternal life. Okay, so now we have this clearer thing. What's he talking about? He's talking about the Spirit. He's talking about, I I can give the Holy Spirit. I, I have the ability to give you eternal life through the Holy Spirit. And that is the water yeah. I'm talking about. Okay? Is it just a coincidence that the previous chapter when we're talking to Nicodemus, he was telling him, I'm talking about water, water and, spirit. and spirit. No, it's not a coincidence. Is it a coincidence that a chapter before that, he was turning water into wine to try and make a point at a wedding? Not at all. No, he's, there is a spiritual discussion going on. And in case we're confused at all about this, Let's jump ahead three chapters. So we're in John <laughs> 7 now. And okay. he's, and Jesus, it says, On the last and most important day of the feast, Jesus stood up and said in a loud voice. So it's kind of like, okay, I'm going to explain this water deal. <laughs> <laughs> for the last time. <laughs> so you guys, <laughs> for the love of all that's holy. <laughs> so, guys! <laughs> Sometimes you're bad. Don't be jerks. <laughs> no, <laughs> something like that. Yeah. So no, he says, let everyone or let anyone who is thirsty come to me and drink. If anyone believes in me, rivers of living water will flow out of that person's heart, as the scripture says. Jesus was talking about the Holy Spirit. Bam. Right there. <laughs> it comes right out and tells us very clearly what this water is. He's okay, listen. It's the Holy Spirit. <laughs> so the writer of John, John or whoever that may be, says Jesus <laughs> Jesus was talking about the Holy Spirit. Yes. The Spirit had not yet been given because Jesus had not yet been raised to glory, but later those who believed in Jesus would receive the Spirit. Hmm. So it's like everyone... I'm sure was thinking about what Jesus stood up at the end of this feast and proclaimed to everybody. Right. Whenever they finally received the Spirit, oh, I get it. I get what you ta- I, I I got it. <laughs> so I remember sure. Je- Jesus saying something about this. That's it. Okay, so um, oh, let's see. John 19. <laughs> so we're still in the book of John. Right. We're going to jump ahead. Okay, and this is the end of Jesus' life. Yeah. Okay, so uh, Jesus had, had uh, he's, he's gone to the cross, he's bled for us, he has suffered for us, and he's actually now died for us. Yeah. Now it says, but when the soldiers came to Jesus, this is John 19, verse 33. <laughs> but when the soldiers came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. But one of the soldiers stuck his spear into Jesus' side, and at once blood and water came out. The one who saw this happen is the one who told us this, and whatever he says is true, and he knows that he tells the truth, and he tells it so that you might believe. Okay, so when Jesus is dead and he is pierced in his side, it gives us, specifically told us that water and blood flowed out of Jesus' side. Right. Now, the thing that, that is really cool about this is that there were two things that happened on the cross. Atonement and cleansing. And those are two different things. Right. So we had the paying for sin, or the paying for our sins, our debt, is to suffer and die, right? Mm-hmm. Wages of sin is death. 
He paid for it. His atonement, right. blood, okay, being spilled on our behalf. But that's not the only thing Jesus did on the cross. Jesus lived a perfect life so that on the cross he could gift it to us. Right. We are made righteous through his blood. We are clean. Blood. We are cleansed through this. Yeah. We have received, uh, uh, we have put on Christ. There's all these 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 conversations right. throughout the New and Testament analogies. that are yeah. going to be talking about this. So it's only fitting that the cleansing symbol of water should is be, poured out. Yep, should be present at the crucifixion. And whenever Ugh. we come in contact with the water and blood, we receive a marriage, right? Right. We're <laughs> we, made righteous. We, we are the bride of Christ. So we become the, the part of his body at that point, mm. which goes all the way back to his very first miracle where water... And wine, which is a symbol of blood, which is a symbol of atonement. So water and blood, mm. water and blood, marriage here, marriage there. So cool. Yeah. It's just like two bookends right. of Jesus's ministry. Amen. Um, so <clears throat> that doesn't bless you. Your blessers broke. The truth is, <laughs> you know, and that's that's the wonderful thing. And we, we don't have to debate about the necessity of stuff. We have, we have to look at the symbolism of stuff. Mm. And what what he's saying to us, and understand the, the the importance of what what this all is. Right. So when 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 if, uh, Paul is talking about this, he says there in Ephesians five and twenty five, husbands love your wives as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, that he might sanctify her. Okay, so this is Jesus making his bride sanctified. Right. Sanctify her, having cleansed her with by the washing of water. With the word. Hmm. So he uses this term water again, which is a symbol for the spirit. spirit yeah. So he's washed us with his spirit through the word so that he might present the church to himself in splendor spot. <clears throat> without spot or wrinkle or any such thing that she might be holy and without blemish. So cleansing and atonement right. happening at the cross. Wow. Um, of course, John 5, 6 through 8. I'll just read that in right quick. Um this is he who came by water and blood, Jesus Christ, not by water only, but by the water and the blood. Mm. And the Spirit is the one who testifies because the Spirit is of truth. For there are three that testify, the Spirit and the water and the blood, and these agree. Yep. It just kind of fits right in to, to everything that we've been talking about. Spirit, water, water blood. blood. It's all happening there at the, at the cross. Right. Okay, so let's talk about how this relates to us. So what about us coming in contact with the water and with the spirit sure. and all that sort of thing? And um, so I want to read a weird passage. It's not going to make a lot of sense at first. Okay. But <clears throat> I want to talk about why the the symbol of the, the ritual of baptism, sacrament, whatever you want to label it, why that is important to us as humans and why it was put there to begin with. Sure. So, so why why would we choose this? Why would Jesus choose this thing with water in order to make all this happen? And so uh, if we look at Luke 24, this is after Jesus's resurrection. He shows up in, or yeah, he shows up in the locked room and all the disciples see him and they freak out. 
they think, oh, we're seeing a ghost. Right. <laughs> okay, he makes this statement. He says, and he said to them, why are you troubled? And why do doubts arise in your hearts? See my hands and my feet, that it is I myself. Touch me and see. For a spirit does not have flesh and bones as you see that I have. And when he had said this, he showed him his hands and his feet. So the point I'm trying to make is that Jesus tells us you can't touch a spirit. And, and in order for them to believe, in order for them to, to grasp this, he says, handle me. Touch right. my hands, touch my feet, because through touching me, you will believe. You will, you will, it'll be real to you. It'll seem real to you. Right. And you can't touch a spirit. Okay, no, but now we're dealing with the Holy Spirit, and we're dealing with Jesus saying to them before, it's good that I go, because if I go, if I don't go, the Holy Spirit won't come to you, and you need him. He's your comforter, you know, by the still waters. He's your helper. He's your teacher. He needs to be in you. Right. And if I don't go, he won't be here. And so how do we then touch the Spirit hmm. in the same way that Jesus says, here, you can't touch Spirit? And, of course... This is good. This is where I want to uh, go all geeky on you. And uh, <laughs> yeah, that's right. The whole Star Trek. Okay, thing. so yeah, there's a movie, Star, yeah. Star Trek: First Contact. Right. And uh, Picard. Yeah. Data. So yeah, they go in. They go back they have into to the go past. Back in time. Yeah. Yeah, they go back in time St- to stop the uh, the uh, board. Yeah. <laughs> from assimilating Earth. Yeah. Okay. So they go back in time, and they they see the first ship that ever went light speed. Right. Okay, so this has been light like... Light speed. <laughs> warp speed. Warp speed. So any, How dare you, Star Wars person. Okay, <laughs> so anyway... <laughs> uh, so anyway, they, they have this this um, this ship, the right. Phoenix. And whenever they see it, the captain, Captain Picard, puts his hand up on, the, uh, on it and touches it. Right. And Data looks at him kind of weird. Of course, Data's the android who doesn't know anything about human emotions. Sure. Data looks at him and says... Uh, uh, like just looks same weird, and he was like, "It's a it's a childhood dream of mine. I've seen this thing in the Smithsonian a hundred times, but I've never been able to touch it." Right. And Data says, "Well, does touching it somehow um, change your perception? Yeah, make of, it of more it? real." Or and that's what Picard says. He yeah. says, "Oh yes." He says, "For humans, tactile contact, touching something, can." make something closer to us. It can make it more real to us. Right. And, uh, uh, of course, the data touches it and goes, all I feel is the, uh, yeah. is the in, imperfections in the metal and all this sort of thing. And he's like, it's no more real to me than it was a second right. before. But that's because he's not human. And, right. and so I thought this was really cool because this is exactly what Jesus was trying to say about the spirit. Sure. You can't touch the spirit. You can't, right. can't handle it. But think about this when Jesus gives us this this way of repre- of going through his represent- representation of death, burial, and resurrection through baptism, what do you come in contact with? Water. Water, the very symbol of the Holy, Holy Spirit. Spirit. So it's like, why is it that our souls overflow? Why is it that... that we come out of the, it's r- the water m- in a victory stance. Yes, it sounds like, it feels like the minute we come, we break the water... We want to shout out to heaven. We have this huge, great emotional flood over us, and which 
you may have could have gotten without the baptism, but unlikely. Right. The baptism does something like that, and it's not magic. It's not anything. There's nothing special in the water that's doing this. It, it's it's the symbol of you coming into contact with the spirit. It becomes real right. to you. If this becomes, I, this just sealed the deal in my mind. That's kind of how you're you're experiencing exactly. And of course, um, the water is our physical link to the spirit. Right. It's 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 uh, it's what makes it real for us. Um, and baptism is continually expressed as a link between the spiritual and the physical. Yeah. Uh, all throughout. Verses about baptism, Mark 1, 7 through 8, John says, I'm just baptizing with water, but there's going to be one who comes after me who's going to baptize you with water and And spirit. spirit. So there's going to be this conjunction between the two. Uh, In Matthew 3, 16 is when Jesus gets baptized, as you mentioned, in the River Jordan. Right. And in doing so, um, it's at that moment that the spirit comes down to him as a dove, linking his baptism, his baptism, being in the water to the to the actual spirit himself coming and and embodying it's amazing uh, Jesus Acts 238 repent and be baptized everyone for your remission of sins and you shall receive the Holy the spirit. gift of the Holy Spirit Amen. so once again the baptism mentioned at the same breath as receiving the spirit so it's like this this connection that's being made and of course Acts 10 is Cornelius uh, and the other Gentiles are with him that are the first, like, full-blown Gentile conversions. And uh, at that moment, what happens? The Spirit comes to them and lands on them. And what's the very first thing that Peter responds with? Well, we got to baptize them. (laughs) Yeah, well, we can't can't, uh, prevent water from them. Exactly. They've got they've got the spirit. We might as well do the water. So it's like this whole uh, connection connection between... Uh, it's the the connection between the physical, physical and the spiritual. And the spiritual. And how amazing is it? I think, <clears throat> you know, water is, there's nothing that you can get, when we're immersed in water, there's nothing that can get closer to us than water. You think about that? That's true. It makes its way into every little par- part of you. Exactly. <laughs> so when you think about that, and you think about the Holy Spirit being, being immersed in the Holy Spirit like that. Yeah. How amazing is it that God chose that? As, as the picture of his Holy yes. Spirit. And plus it's a picture of Jesus' death, burial, burial and resurrection. resurrection. So we identify with Jesus' death, burial, and resurrection. At right. the same time, we're, we are being bathed in cleansing righteousness, symbols yeah. of cleansing righteousness, Holy Spirit, all that stuff. Yeah, and the symbolism thing, it goes so much farther than... Okay, so the the if you want to call it communion or Lord's Supper which I think these two are the main, you know, main things here. But I think the symbolism there is just as, as prevalent, yes. right? How, how, how in the world do you get his righteousness imbibed in you? By eating his <laughs> flesh right. and drinking his blood, right? Right. How amazing is that? that? That's the picture he wants. We're taking him into us. So between baptism and communion, you have it on the outside, you have it on the inside. Yeah. Like you have, <laughs> it's it's like all these symbols were chosen in order to make things more real to us. Yeah, and not not just chosen, but in the Old Testament all the way through. If you look, okay, so you look at the Levitical law, blood is atonement. Right, period. Right. Do not eat an animal with blood still in it because blood is for atonement. Right. He said he comes right out and says that. Right. <laughs> we have all this water talk. It's amazing how God 
puts this together before the foundation of the world. Yes. He has this. Yeah. Plan. Yeah. That so, should just, oh, if it don't bless you, your blessers broke. That should yeah. just encourage you. <laughs> so that's good. All right. So you have some news? I do. Let me pull up my handy dandy iPod. All right. We'll let the little thing play here. And now the news. I don't have my Chromebook anymore, so I'm trying to learn how to do this Apple stuff, and I ought to just let you have it. Okay. <laughs> so here we go. Um, I'll start with one of my favorites so far. So I guess there were hecklers at Joel Steen's church. What? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, here's one of the weirdest church related. This is from Relevant. I'm just going to read it straight because it's funny from how they say stuff. Here's one of the weirdest church uh, related stories you'll hear this week. Last summer, six men were arrested after they began to heckle Lakewood Church Pastor Joel Olstein during a sermon, calling him a liar. Each had theological issues with Olstein's message. Their disruption reportedly frightened many in attendance, and Olstein told the court he could sense hosti- uh, hostility. hostility in the <clears throat> tone. All of them were removed from the service by security. This week, a criminal trial in Texas. Charges for trespassing were dismissed for the four of the men, uh, and they were found not guilty of disrupting a medium pr- uh, procession. Charges against the other two are still pending. The case is an interesting one because the six sermon interrupters aren't just troublemakers. They were raising theological concerns. But the hecklers themselves are members of an extremely controversial Texas church. Uh, though one of the hecklers called Jostein a uh, false prophet, many say that uh, they are the ones who are the leaders of a dangerous cult. Each of the men are from a small, extremely controversial congregation known as the Church of Wells. Have you heard of that? Yes. Yeah, so the Church of Wells went and protested. Have you heard it? I don't know anything about the Church of Wells. Uh, yes. In fact, it's really weird that you mention this because um, this is a, um, I think it was Mike Mahoney when we were on the mission trip was telling me about this group. But anyway, what they do is it, they have this real secretive, type of society type of thing. Like people have been kidnapped. Like uh, to, to like if you join this 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 church, everything reads good. Like if you read their statements of yeah. belief and all this, it all kind of reads good. But when you go to become a part of them, they like secret you away to some hidden uh you know compound or or whatever it's really there's some weirdness tied to this <laughs> it's, it's like very cultic oh my gosh yeah. like a secret society yeah that's what they're saying they've been brainwashing young men and women into cutting ties with their families to join the yes. one true church yeah 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 right <laughs> and they've been engaging in intentionally controversial street preaching so uh, more fun for texas huh yeah there was a couple of students um, at some campus that that basically got kidnapped uh, because they made they just indicated that they would be interested in hearing more about it or whatever and so these guys like said well jump in the car and took off with them <laughs> and they showed up like two days later <laughs> dude we need to go undercover let's do it <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that'd be good. Give a full-on report if we don't die. Yeah. That's awesome. <laughs> wow. 
Anyways, uh, let's see. Um, the Gospel of Jesus' wife artifact was re- recently proven to be fake. Shocker! Oh. <laughs> In 2012, uh, Karen King, a divinity professor at Harvard, shared details of a piece of Egyptian papyrus she believed to be confirmed. Uh, she believed to confirm the fact that Jesus had a wife. Now she is saying with the new information she believes the scrap to be a modern forgery. The papyrus scrap, which is only the size of a business card according to history, uh, read, Jesus said to them, my wife, followed by she is able to be my disciple on the next line. At the time, King maintained that it shouldn't be taken as evidence that Jesus had married. King's findings was obviously immediately controversial. The papyrus was carbon dated, put through other science tests in an attempt to uh, determine if it was a forgery after the test seemingly confirmed its age and authenticity. The Harvard Theological Review published the article about it in 2014. Mm. So <clears throat> now, because of where it was... Long story short, he traced the sample back uh, to its chain of over- ownership to a Florida man named Walter Fritz who admitted to having purchased the artifact and other things from a business partner. The letter of authenticity also looked fake. Fritz admitted that he had he was the original owner, but denied forging it himself. So, basically, they found out it was a forgery. Wow, it was a forgery. Fake. Cool. Yeah, but you know, not surprising either. So, um, this one's really interesting. Ooh, I lost it. There we go. They made a new app to help uh, end human trafficking. It's pretty cool. Okay. So this is what you do. Basically. You download the app on your phone, and anytime you visit a hotel, you take a picture of the hotel room, and it automatically updates to the FBI database. Okay. So whenever they get a picture of a girl kidnapped in a hotel or something, or they're trying to identify where they're at, they can run this through their database recognition uh, software and find the hotel. Oh, okay. Which is brilliant, right? Mm-hmm. So, uh, yeah, it's a it's a pretty cool thing. If you want to download it, it's free on iOS and uh, Android devices. And I forget the name of it. Um, Man, there are so many hotels it, and motels in this world. Yeah, there are. <laughs> that's the thing. Uh, it's called Traffic Cam. Get it? Human yes, trafficking. Yes. Tra- traffic Cam. So if you want to download it, it's called Traffic Cam. And the next time... You go to a hotel, you can take a picture and maybe save a life. It's cool. cool. Yeah. Um, a study claims that cohabitation before marriage is officially the new normal, which is not surprising, actually. Um, How new is that? Well, this is brand <laughs> it's <like> new. <laughs> it's, it's actually uh, along religion lines, uh, 41% of practicing Christians either strongly agree or someone agree that cohabitation is a good idea compared to 88% of people who describe themselves as having no faith uh, being in agreement. So basically, 41% of Christians say that it's all right for cohabitation now, which is a big deal. Yeah, that is a big deal. Right? So it used to be, you know, way less than that in the new Barna study. Reasons for cohabitation, the major, the number one reason, 82% of people... To test cohabit try before you buy exactly test compatibility. Nine uh, percent say it's convenient, practical. Five percent say it's cheap rent. Basically, <laughs> uh, of people, major reasons against cohabitation: 
number one at 34% religious reasons. And then 28%, this is really interesting, 28% of people said that I don't believe that people should have sex before getting married. But that's not a religious reason. I guess it's not a religious reason. <clears throat> that I, whatever. Uh, 12% say family tradition. In other words, my parents would kill me. Yeah. Right? Yeah. <laughs> like yeah. cohabitating. <laughs> and 16% said it isn't practical or it doesn't make sense, which I totally disagree with. Actually, it's pretty practical if you're, you know, in well, the world. Well, I think in theory it, it is. Right. But I think ultimately it cheapens marriage. Oh, so much. Yeah. It, it's, it's unbelievable. It cheapens what it's all about. Yeah. Uh, so it, removes, it removes commitment. Exactly. That's the reason we have this whole thing called the it's, common law marriage. Yeah, it's, a te- of, it's a temporary uh, marriage <sighs> thing. It's sad. Wow. Um, let's see. And then, and this time in church history. Hop in our TARDIS. I always have to say that for the people who have no clue what we're doing right now. Oh, we have a bunch of geeks that listen. <laughs> okay, good. All right, so anyways, uh, on this day in church history, the first Methodist conference, uh, uh, yeah, conference convened. So, uh, Charles Wesley, you've heard of him. John, and John, Charles, John, John Wesley, yes. Charles Wesley. Uh, Those Methodists. They created a, the Methodist Church. A method to their madness. Basically, in 1738, which is really good foundational principles. I, I love the Methodist Church. Uh, it wasn't until 1744 that people disagreed enough that they had to have a convention <laughs> in order to settle theological disputes. Yeah. So Wesley's followers first held it in June of uh, 1740, not June, yeah, June of 1744, um, and laid down all the uh, fundamentals. But that's pretty much it as far as church history. There's not a lot that happened around this time. Hmm. It's, you know, the first yeah. Methodist conference convened. Anyways, that's all I got. Oh, Okay. <laughs> Yay for voicemail. Yay, I need to change the, the little bumper there because we got less voicemail and more email. But, um, email. <laughs> email. <laughs> okay, so we have email. Okay. We have uh, some good feedback, actually. Uh, we have a new listener, or at least uh, what appears to be a new listener, cool. uh, named Mary. And she wrote to us and said, Theonauts, bear with me. This is intended to be an encouraging email. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so, we'll bear with you, Barry. <laughs> when it starts out like that, I yeah, immediately like, <laughs> start wondering what in the world. Okay, you start on. getting on your guard. Don't yeah, you? so, it's like, yeah, I'm a theonomist. <laughs> no, no, I'm just kidding. Right. So, <laughs> okay, she says I walk my dog for almost an hour every day. It didn't used to be that long of a walk. My dog is very curious and enthusiastic walker, so I give in to new places to walk in large part because I have been unemployed for a couple of years now. Now, for a year and a half, I have tried to keep my mind active by listening to various local news stations, NPR, love them, hate them, uh-huh. and sometimes just jazz music. I upgraded my iPhone to a 6S and then finally discovered the podcast app. Okay, so I'm not real old, but kind of old but doing my best to keep up with the techie stuff. <laughs> I've heard of David Jeremiah, a Christian author slash preacher slash yada yada. <laughs> I didn't think about that. <laughs> and decided to search for podcasts by him. And I accidentally downloaded what I thought was one of his podcasts. <laughs> but it was one of yours. <laughs> uh, at first, I was disappointed. 
<laughs> As I started my walk in my podcast listening. But since I can't use too much data to download different podcasts out of my Wi-Fi on my walk, uh, but the intro and your antics drew me in. My disappointment turned to interest and in the delight. <laughs> so much of the subjects of which you talk about and what you can what you say are in line with the direct oh sorry. So much of the subjects of which you talk about and what you say are in line with the direction my faith studies have taken me. Your podcast, Christian Civil Wars, was incredible. I'm very sensitive to how Christians treat our fellow Christians, especially regarding the harm Christian people and the churches have done in and to the name of Jesus and his grace and love to other Christians and non-Christians. Your podcast about Jesus in the stars, awesome. The Long Day of Joshua, fascinating. <laughs> About me, in a nutshell, I was raised Catholic, married a Protestant, left the Catholic Church because I didn't feel right about being a hypocrite since I planned on using birth control. First Protestant experience was in a Union Congregational Church in Illinois, moved to Atlanta, Georgia under duress of losing a baby, found friends at the PCA Church where I grew in knowledge and understanding of Jesus who woke me up to himself and his love and truth chose to leave that church to have an immersion baptism and not and non-denominational church uh, love how you spoke about non-denominational actually ki is kind of a denomination and we <laughs> now attend one of Andy Stanley's uh, sister churches oh neat I love Andy Stanley of which you spoke about in your news in a podcast Andy and his oops statement yeah about people going to small churches but please don't hold this against me <laughs> And please don't think I always line up totally with Andy Stanley's eschatology ideas or how these churches do their worship. Anyway, this has been wordy. I'm sorry. I just wanted to express my delight and encouragement to you guys. I will be singing your praises to my Christian friends. Good job, and thank you very truly, Mary. Wow, that's awesome and hugely encouraging. Yes. Thank you so much, Mary, for listening yeah, in. A, I'm so excited a, to a get great... another email yeah another listener i wonder how many people are doing that david jeremiah i don't know but it might be a good marketing yeah email. it might be a great marketing <laughs> guerrilla marketing or whatever <laughs> like david and Jer david jeremiah tried david and jeremiah but you know what's funny is i don't know anything about david jeremiah oh he's great i don't know his theology my at wife all. Or my wife my mom listens to dr david jeremiah all the time he's a he's a really good theologian Oh, and a, just a powerful pastor. But everything he, he usually does is just right on. I love okay, him. cool. But anyways. Okay, then great. I've got uh, and then I've got one from Michelle again. Okay, cool. So Michelle's been giving us some good feedback. Yeah, here, she right? has. And uh, she's also been throwing us a bunch of news. Yes, thank <laughs> you, Michelle, for that. <laughs> okay, so it says, Dear David and Jeremiah, thanks for another great broadca uh, broadcast. I really enjoyed the seven things Jesus said on the cross. I have also heard David's interpretation of what Jesus said to the thief that it can be translated, as I say to you today, you will be with me in paradise. And that makes sense to me. Also, I absolutely love how you both disagree with each other on a regular basis. <laughs> while laughing about your differences and remaining friends. You of do course. a great job of including varying interpretations on different topics of Scripture and are really good examples of grace and humility. Aww. Well, you know, that's what we're all about. Amen. Unity. That's right. That's uh, our thing. We probably won't agree on everything ever <laughs> i don't think we will <laughs> so, and i think that's okay because i think it'd be pretty boring if we did yeah okay so. so first thanks for sharing the news 
item about the Supreme Court decision on the Little Sisters of the Poor case. Regarding Catholic te uh, teaching on contraception, David is right. The official teaching of the Catholic Church is that the only natural methods, periodic abstinence, are permissible, um, while recognizing that there may be very legitimate reasons, such as mother's health, limit to family size. This teaching remains controversial, even among Catholics. Um, so, man, both both emails that we got about that, yeah. this. that is interesting. Yeah, so, that is interesting. <clears throat> but the reason I sent you the news item about the Supreme Court decision is because Justice Roberts was able to get eight remaining justices to agree unanimously to push Obama administration to sell the case with this group of nuns. Wow. If um, the court had ruled on the case, they might have, st have started asking whether the religious belief of this faith-based organization was legitimate or genuine or valid as weighed against the administration's goal to have every business provoke, uh, provide birth control provided to their employees. This was an important victory for religious freedom because the last thing we want is for the Supreme Court to start weighing in on the uh, legitimacy of any particular religious belief. Right. Of course, not every religious practice is protected under our Constitution. For example, the Aztecs came back and started practicing human sacrifice. <laughs> but as Americans, that, I believe that we That escalated quickly. Yeah. <laughs> I believe we should give protection to a wide variety of religious beliefs, including those that we don't necessarily agree with, in order to ensure that everyone is free to follow their conscience and practice their faith under the First Amendment. Now, on to the topic of what happens when you die. As I'm writing today, the massacre in, Flor the massacre in Florida of people at a gay nightclub is all over the news. I'm especially, uh, well, let's see, she, she told me to, to scratch this statement because she was wrong. Uh, hang on a second. I have several thoughts I'd like to add on the topic of what happens when you die, some from a Catholic perspective. So remember, Michelle's Catholic. I, don't right. know, I wonder how many Catholic listeners we have. I wonder. Uh, I don't know. That, it's interesting. That is interesting. I should say before I begin that I am not a theologian, and I can probably be best described as a Christian mutt. So don't take what I say as the official representation of anyone other than myself. <laughs> uh, number one, I'd like to start by quoting several verses of Scripture. Apologies if you did this already. First, in Second Peter 3 and verse 9, uh, God is patient with you, not wanting anyone to perish, but every but everyone to come to repentance. We know that God wants for everyone to be saved. Second, in Luke chapter 15, the parables of the lost coin and the lost sheep portray God as seeking the lost until he finds them, and the parable of the prodigal son shows God as waiting and watching for the prodigal's return. We also know then that God relentlessly seeks the lost. Second, I believe that God does not force people to choose him. In his book, The Problem of Pain, C.S. Lewis says, I willingly believe that the damned are, in one sense, successful, rebels to the end, and that the gates of hell are locked on the inside. To me, this is consistent with what Jesus expressed when he wept over the city of Jerusalem, saying, How often I have longed to gather the, your children together as hens gather her chicks under her wings, and you were not willing. That's Matthew 23. God waits for us and weeps when we do not come to him. Another C.S. Lewis quote on this is the, in The Great Divorce, where he says, There are only two kinds of people in the end, those who say to God, Thy will be done, and those to whom God says in the end, thy will be done. Because we have the choice to refuse God, it means we can choose to be away from him eternally. And number three, even though people can choose to reject God as Christians, we should never say, well, that guy's certainly in hell. I have heard more than one sermon in Catholic churches, especially from my friend Jonathan Austin, uh, who David met, 
uh, where it was said that we should never speculate about who is in hell because God calls everyone to repentance and we can't know and that they didn't repent before they died. Romans 10:13 says, everyone who calls upon the name of the Lord will be saved. When you consider that, in most cases, the brain lives for four minutes after we take our last breath, hmm. and that's a lot of time for repentance. I hope that we will be surprised by many repentant sinners, sinners when we get to heaven. That's good. Number four, near-death experiences. Let me start by saying that near-death experiences are not scripture. However, my own mother had a near-death experience in 1974 when she had internal bleeding from ovarian cancer, and she found herself floating above her body in the stretcher, completely at peace, hearing beautiful heavenly music. There are quite a few reported near-death experiences where a person repents while it's happening. We don't know what God may offer people in their last moments. Number five, purgatory. I know, as Protestants, you don't believe in purgatory. <laughs> That's an understatement. <laughs> <laughs> but I'd like to offer a couple of thoughts on the idea. It is my understanding that the Catholic Church teaches that after we die, God puts us through a purification process known as purgatory, more of a process than a place. And if I understand it correctly, this is based on 1 Corinthians 3, 11 through 15. For no one can lay down the foundation after... Uh, other than the one already laid, when Jesus is Christ, when, which is Jesus Christ. If anyone builds on this foundation using gold, silver, costly stones, wood, hay, or straw, their work will be shown for what it is because the day will bring to it light. It will be revealed with fire, and the fire will test the quality of each person's work. And if what has been built survives, <clears throat> the builder will receive a reward. If it's burned up, the builder will suffer loss but yet be saved, even though only as w- one escaping through the flames. I think the theory is that this process will take longer for some people than it will for others. I certainly don't expect you to agree with this teaching, but I think these verses do offer some food for thought on the question of what happens after we die. And number five, finally, when I think of those who have died, I am comforted by the character of God himself. Mm -hmm. Will not the judge of the earth do right? Genesis 18.25. I think we can be confident that God will offer every opportunity to us as sinners to come back to him in repentance. Thank you for your ministry, Michelle. Wow. <clears throat> Lots of food for thought there. Um, yeah. I'm, I, I can't let it go without at least throwing my two cents in about 1 Corinthians 3. Okay. Um, I use 1 Corinthians 3 a lot, actually. Yeah, because too. I believe it's a unity passage. I don't believe it's talking about what's going to happen after we die. Right. Um, well, and if you look at the context, it's all about unity. Right. It starts with this whole I'm of Paul, I'm of Apollos thing. And it ends with I'm of Paul, I'm of Apollos right. thing. So th- what's in between there to me is not talking about um, our works. So, And it's not talking about us going through this flame and things surviving through right. it. Uh, wh- to me, what I think it's talking about is he's saying... They, the apostles, we are the builders on the foundation, and the stones are us. And so that is like... um, Well, it's uh, talking about the church universal, I believe. It's talking about the church as a group. Yes. Right? So you've got some of us are gold and precious stones. Some of us are hay, and some of us are stubble. Some of us are false conversions, in other words. Yeah, I use the the same when he goes... Sorry, didn't mean... No, go ahead. But... uh, you can compare that to whenever he talks about separating the wheat from the chaff. Yes. Uh, whenever he, whenever he talks about the, uh, the, um, yeah, allowing the, you don't cut the, you know, you don't, you don't go through and try to pull out 
the t- wheat and the tares. It, wheat and the tares. Yeah, yeah. You, you wait until the harvester comes and harvests everybody, and then he separates. Yes, and that's the same. Okay, thing. so what happens is this fire judgment comes, and the ones that are not saved, the ones that are are not uh, in Christ, they're in the they're in the the in the church in the church or whatever. I mean, they're sitting in the pews or whatever, but they're hay, they're straw, they're they're stubble. They'll be consumed. Yeah, they're going to be burned. And the and the the ones that are true, like foundational, uh, truly trusted in Christ, right? They're 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 the stones of the congregation will survive, right? And then it says, but the 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 builder, which he's referring to as them as the apostles, they won't they won't suffer loss. I mean, they won't su- they won't be damned because false Christians came in. Right. They'll, they'll be they'll be fine. Yeah. But even though it feels like a loss because they're losing flock. Yeah. They're losing what they thought was were saved individuals. And the, the and the the other point of that is it's not up to you to go through and say, okay, that one's wood hay, you know, that one's stubble, mm-hmm. that one's a precious jewel cuz you don't know. God knows. Right. Well, and 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 speaking just quickly to the whole purg- the idea of purgatory is for one, Jesus paid it all on the cross. I don't have to burn a little bit and pay for some of it. Right. And that's to my, that's my biggest problem with yeah. this with the theology of purgatory. Purgatory assumes we have to atone for something. Right. Uh, a certain amount of time before we can be cleansed. When he died for our sins, he died for our sins, past, present, yes, and future. It is paid in full. Totally. To tell us that. It is paid in full. There is nothing else to do, including me burning for a little bit right. <laughs> so to, it, to pay for. And it's an offshoot sins. of the whole confession thing. If you <clears> confess, <throat> you know, that's why you do the last right stuff and yeah, all yeah. that. And um, and we, we've both been, you and I have both been in. in Members of churches that believed, okay, if you die right before you, you know, send us out, you might not be, yeah, yeah, saved, and um, and that's just not, not true. And the Church of Christ, sorry, some of the some of the <laughs> Church of Christ doctrine took it so far to say you'll lose your salvation. Mm-hmm. Well, the Catholics they don't go that far. They say, well, you'd have to go to purgatory to burn those sins off. Yeah, right. Well, and then, then the get... Baptists say whatever you want. Yeah. <laughs> I'm joking. <laughs> I said my prayer. Yeah, exactly. I'm good. I'm good. Covered. No problem. So, okay. <laughs> so so anyway, uh, and and another little thing about purgatory is that a lot of it's contingent upon how many people will actually pray for you. Oh yeah, that's right. And, and light pray. a candle, pray a prayer. <laughs> how about the the tax? Oh ooh ooh, tonsil. Uh-huh. Back in yeah. the day uh, with. Uh, Martin Luther, right? Yeah. yeah With yeah. every coin in the coffer that rings, another soul from purgatory springs. Right, right. So, you know. <laughs> Let's pay and get grandma out of hell. Exactly. And the view may have changed since then. You know, we're stuck on the reformed That's view true. of purgatory. That's true. So it might have changed. I'm, I'm not real familiar with current Catholic theology on purgatory. purgatory. I but just know what I've heard. With, <laughs> the classical, I just, I don't, I can't go there. So, yeah, anyway. Um, but we love you. We love you, Michelle. <laughs> <laughs> and I know you love us too, so it doesn't matter. Yeah. <laughs> so, so anyway, about ready to get out of here? Yeah, let's do it. All right. The Theonauts are part of the Great Commission Transmission Network. 
using new media and social networking to go in all the world and proclaim the good news to everyone. To find out more, go to gctnetwork.com, subscribe to the newsletter, and stay up to date with all of our shows. We have a couple of new shows in the work. Yes. Still have the worship show in the works, and we have this um, Middle Earth show that's in the works. Uh, so keep up with that. Visit our website at theonotspodcast.com for show outlines and notes. Also, please join us in prayer for one another. You can anonymously confess sins and pray for each other at prayer.theonotspodcast.com. And don't forget to do that. That's yeah, important. there's actually been some traffic on there lately. Yeah, yeah So, and we've gotten a few new uh, prayer requests in there. So don't forget to go there and uh, sign up to be a prayer warrior. And we'll send you every Thursday, on Theo Thursdays, we will send you a list of, of things to pray for, people right. to pray for. That's good. So there are several ways you can contact us. You can leave us feedback and leave us feedback. You can send us an email to theonots at gctnetwork.com, or you can still call us on our voicemail line, 972-885-7270. We like hearing the voice. Yes. Listen to us on iTunes, Stitcher Radio, or your favorite co- podcast catcher. And don't forget to leave us comments and rate us, as that helps our show reach a larger audience, as well as David Jeremiah. Yes, tweet to us <laughs> on Twitter using at Theonautical. Like us on Facebook at facebook.com slash Don't forget to tune in again to explore the vast reaches of God's Word with us. All right, thanks for being here, Jeremiah. Thank you, David. All right, God bless. This has been the Theonauts Podcast. Call us with your questions or comments at 972-885-7270. That's 972-885-7270. We'd love to hear from you. You are tuned in to the GCT Network. Is your Great Commission transmission at GCTnetwork.com? Dan, what is your deal? If anybody doesn't know, Dan is the worst.